AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson, sitting in today for Mike Adams on this first Friday of December. Looking out over the short-term forecast, there might be a little bit of action. Coming to the Northern Plains, we're going to check in with Ed Valley of Empire Weather in just a moment, get the update on what to expect this weekend. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about what EPA has been up to. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, will join us. They've still been working, and Jackie's got some updates. Then we're going to talk to Don Close. Uh, Don is the Senior Protein Research Analyst at Rabobank, and he has been watching this cattle market over the past two years, and he's got some thoughts about how things might look as 2020 comes into range. And finally, we're going to wrap the today's show by looking at exports. Grain exports were something to cheer about. In 2021, Carrie Sifferath of the U.S. Grains Council will join me at the end of the show to talk about just what those numbers added up to. But first, let's talk weather. Ed Valley joins us. Ed, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. How's it going, Mike? Not too bad. Let's talk about this weather system that's moving across the northern plains. This weekend might get a little slick there in the Dakotas and in Montana, if I understand it. Yeah, it sure looks like it. It looks like the system is going to come down from the Canadian prairies. And I think it first starts out west Saturday, midday, and early afternoon, and then it'll streak across North Dakota here Saturday night into early Sunday. And right now, it looks like there could be some pretty decent snowfall and, and moisture amounts. I know we're still needing some of that moisture, regardless of how it falls. And it looks like, as of now, three to six, maybe four to eight inches of snow is possible here. Again, with that peak coming Saturday night, and then it'll wrap up early on Sunday. That three to six inches of snow, Ed, is that mainly going to be the northern uh, tier of Montana and North Dakota, or is this going to stretch all the way into Wyoming, parts of South Dakota? Yeah, so I think this is going to stay to the north this time around. You know, the further north you go, I think the northern half of North Dakota into northeastern Montana could do pretty well here. Uh, But the further south you go, there's not going to be quite as much moisture And it's going to be a little warmer. So down in parts of southern North Dakota and northern South Dakota, it looks like we still might see a little bit of a wintry mix or a little bit of rain and snow, uh, but the amounts are going to be much, much lower. Now, the one thing to also keep in mind here is as the system moves through, as typical with a lot of these winter systems, it's going to bring quite a bit of wind. So I think wind gusts of 30 to 50 miles an hour could certainly occur here later Saturday night into the day on Sunday. That's got to raise some fire concerns. As dry as it's been and Ed, as warm as it's been, those high winds are something to keep an eye on. Absolutely, especially where that snow, of course, does not fall down in South Dakota and southern North Dakota. Now, in North Dakota, where it does snow, it looks like it could be dealing with some blowing snow and reduced visibility. So it's kind of a two-pronged threat there. Not only, like you said, that fire danger, but also some reduced visibility as we head into the day on Sunday. That is a good point. Now, this warmth, this has not felt like December for a lot of us, particularly in the upper Midwest. It feels more like September. Can we count on this warmth persisting through Christmas? You know, I don't know if it'll last quite through Christmas, but I think at least the next two weeks. So as you're preparing for Christmas, it does look to feel a lot like uh, October and, and November moving forward here. So I think the next 10 days or so do look quite warm as we head into Uh, That pre-Christmas week or so, we might start to see those temperatures return closer to normal. But like I said, I think the next 7 to 10, maybe even 14 days uh, look certainly warmer than normal. Well, farmers are wrapping up harvest here across the United States, but they are running full tilt down in South America. That growing season is underway. Ed, I know you keep a close look on what's happening down in South America. How do things look in Brazil right now? So it really depends on where you go. Across northern, or excuse me, central Brazil, Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso de Sol, these areas have seen quite a bit of moisture. And for the most part, I think they're doing pretty well. I don't think there's really any uh, past concerns, you know, looking back the last uh, 60 days or so of moisture. And really moving forward here through the remainder of at least December, I think this part of the world is going to continue to see that moisture. But as you head south, as you get into southern Mato Grosso de Sol, and down into uh, the southern production areas of Rio Grande do Sul, 
in parts of Paraná, that part of Brazil is leaning on the drier side now. And I think moving forward, we're also going to lean on the drier side. So it's still a little bit uncertain as to how much of that corridor is going to stay dry, but there's enough of that region that is trending dry at this time to certainly continue to watch it moving forward. Well, go a little farther south to Argentina. I understand they had some moisture during planting season, delayed those seeds getting in the ground. How does Argentina look? I know they're on the southern tip of Brazil. Are they seeing that dry bias in your forecast? So moving forward, absolutely. But you're exactly right about the past, too. So typically in La Nina, which we're in right now, that typically favors drier conditions across Argentina and southern Brazil. So that's what a lot of the uh, community has been looking for here so far this season. And to be honest, just like you said there, we've been a lot wetter so far in Argentina. So the past, looking kind of up to this point, has been, like you, like you mentioned, it was it delayed planting a little bit, but the moisture has been a lot better than expected. Now, moving forward, I think you're exactly right. I think we are going to be watching this dry risk especially in central and eastern Argentina, which does account for quite a bit of production as we head through the rest of this month and even perhaps into the new year. I know the La Nina keeps strengthening. We're watching those surface temperatures in the Pacific Ocean. Ed, as this intensifies, you've talked quite a bit in past episodes here on AOA about what it means moisture-wise. I'm curious, temperature-wise, do we see an increase in temperatures across either Brazil or Argentina as La Nina intensifies through their summer? Exactly. And, and, and it's interesting because I think right about now or maybe in the next month or so, La Nina is going to kind of peak and then it's going to start receding a little bit. But exactly as you said, that moisture, or excuse me, that temperature uh, tends to be warmer than normal in Argentina and southern Brazil in La Nina. And we're starting to see that show up. And it's, as we know, up in, up in North America, if you have a lot of dry weather, it kind of helps dry out those soils and, and allow those temperatures during the day to heat up a lot more. And we're starting to see that in eastern Argentina and parts of southern Brazil here moving forward over the next few weeks. And I think that is going to be a concern as we head into the new year as well. So eastern Argentina into southern Brazil typically does lean warmer than normal. And I think that's going to be the case here. Let's look over across the Pacific to China. Ed, I know you keep an eye on what's happening in that country. They have had struggles for the yep. past several years getting their crops out of the field. And I know harvest is mostly wrapped up in China. How are things looking? They're looking better. They, we have been dealing with quite a bit of moisture here this fall, especially in northeast China and the North China Plain. It has begun to recede moisture-wise, so I think progress is being made. Now, obviously, the specifics... Uh, I'll leave to the experts, but I, I think from a just from a weather perspective, uh, things have cooperated more as of late. All right. Lots of things going on. The world of weather is going to continue to stick with us. We're going to look forward to talking to Ed more as we get farther into this winter season. Ed, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today here on AOA. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime. And folks, stick with us. We've got a lot more program yet to come. We're going to talk Jackie Fatka next about what the EPA has been up to in recent weeks. And then Don Close getting a roadmap for the cattle industry in 2022. So stick around. We'll wrap our conversation today looking at the U.S. Grains Council grain exports for 2021. Stay with us here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.
Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams. It was announced late Thursday night that a deal has been secured in Washington, D.C. to stave off a government shutdown, which means all of this administration's functions will continue happening in Washington, D.C., including those of the EPA. Farm Progress Policy Editor Jackie Fatka joins me today. Jackie, EPA released a study before Thanksgiving looking at the endangered species biological evaluation specifically for glyphosate, atrazine, and simazine. This study has ruffled a few feathers. You know, this latest report um, has a lot of farmer groups and farmers themselves concerned because, um, you know, I think we all appreciate using good science and using the data that is backed by science. And I think that especially for those of us in the ag community, that's what we want to make sure that we are grounding our decisions on. And what EPA ended up doing was was not using their most up-to-date data in science. And that has a lot of farmer groups concerned. It does. And it really matters with this report in particular, because this is the the paperwork they're going to use to determine endangered species into the future, correct? So, you know, part of what this means is, you know, say your farm might have an endangered species that's identified on it. So the this this would impact, you know, how much glyphosate you might use or glyphosate you might be able to use or how much atrazine to commonly used uh ingredients on a lot of farms. And so um, if they're using it at a higher level or it, it triggers something uh, differently than what is actually happening in real t- uh, on the farm with real data, it, it, it makes a difference on what kind of tools are available in the toolbox for farmers. It certainly does. And the core of the issue here is that the EPA compiled this report analyzing how these chemicals impact potential endangered species, and they use numbers, particularly for glyphosate and atrazine, that are well above what farmers would use on the ground. Jackie, isn't that the contention here? Right. So, for instance, the final uh, biological evaluation for glyphosate was assuming that soybean growers would use 3.75 pounds of glyphosate per application. But in actuality, what is the the norm is more like one pound per acre. So that's almost four times less than what they're assuming. So, I mean, that's not just a little bit of a 
fluctuation, that's that's a major difference in what is actually being estimated that could trigger those red flags of what they would, would they come in and say, well, you can't use glyphosate because you've got whatever endangered species might happen to crawl across your farm. And so, you know, these are, these are major implications for the ability to use these tools that are very important to control weeds or pests across the, the countryside. So this report comes out three-ish weeks ago. There has been tremendous pushback from all sorts of farm groups all across the spectrum. Jackie, has the EPA come out to make any clarifications? No, not yet. And with EPA and and a lot of times with government entities, that's not very surprising. Um, And so I think that is important for these farmer groups to, to make that noise, to make sure that they are made aware of that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe this is something that as we continue on, if we start to see some real world implications of this, you know, say this actually goes, does go into effect and you start to see some limitations on actually, you know, right now, this is just a study. This is not anything that's coming down and, and hard nosed at, at a farmer once they've got an animal that could be an endangered species on their farm, but it's leading up to that. And so, you know, maybe there is still some time to, to educate EPA on this. And, you know, I think everybody was really hoping when, uh, the new EPA administrator, Michael Regan, came in that he would be working with agricultural stakeholders and listening to them. And and, and maybe everyone is still holding on to that, that maybe almost empty promise now. But we can always hope, right? The eternal optimist for farmers. Well, yeah, that's a good point. When Michael Regan was nominated back in March, the expectation was he would be fairly open to listening to ideas from from all the stakeholders, which would include agriculture, were nine months into his term. Jackie, how do you think he's doing? You know, um, over the last year, um, when we first got the the nomination about Michael Regan, I think, just like you said, good reports coming out of uh, North Carolina. He helped kind of walk that fine line between some of the hog issues and the environmental concerns. And I think he understands the he was also a career staffer at EPA, and so he understands that need for clarity on the federal side as well as the state side and, and kind of between those different jurisdictions, because I think that's a lot of what, you know, who who should control what? Should it be at the federal level? Should it be at the state level or local level? Um, you know, he's, he's visited an ethanol plant in Iowa. That was one of the first things he did when he came in um, the new role earlier this spring. Um, but, you know, a lot of what he has said has not necessarily corresponded to how his agency has actually acted. So, you know, we saw that with promising to uphold the RFS, um, but yet we've continued to hear reports and concerns and rumors over whether they would actually retroactively go back prior years and change the RFS, which has never been done before. Uh, Obviously, a lot of concerns with that. And then with WOTUS, you know, another big issue in the countryside and a lot of ag folks, you mentioned Zippy Duvall, I think a lot of people in the ag industry had heard from from the mouth of Michael Regan that he was looking to just kind of tweak things and change things around the edges. And what we have actually seen in the last couple of months is a, is an is a total repeal and going back to pre 2015 rule, which is really not what's best for farmers or for the agriculture industry as a whole. And so I think there's a lot of concerns on what maybe Michael Regan is saying and then what the entire administration action is taking. And I'm glad you brought up WOTUS, Jackie. We've got the pre-2015 rule in effect, as you mentioned. Do we have a roadmap for when this new WOTUS might be promulgated? You know, I I would anticipate here in the next couple of months, we're going to see some more on that. Um, You mentioned that pre-2015, that was something out actually in the last couple of weeks we didn't know if they were going to take the Obama rule, if they were going to keep the Trump rule that had been in place, or what point in time that we've had these ongoing whiplashes of of the water rule, where we would stop to allow it kind of the ball to stop swinging. Well, as we went on to the next, as they were working on rewriting it. So you know, the fact that they said pre two thousand fifteen, um, I don't think that that's preferred by some in the ag industry. Um, but that does keep some of the needed 
exclusions is the word I'm looking for exclusions for for some of the previous planted acres and some of those issues that the ag industry is closely watching. So I'd expect something here in the next couple of months, probably by uh, spring next year, we might see things, but it's going to drag out for several years. We've got to have proposed rule, comment on the rule, changes to the rule, probably court challenges to the rule. I mean, this is this is going to be another several year thing. It took Trump almost four years to rescind, rewrite uh, their rule. And we're kind of back to the same procedure here under this administration. And of course, if the White House should change hands in 2024, it could be a fifth edition of WOTUS being written. Jackie, we could be playing this whipsaw game because at the end of the day, it's just a rulemaking, right? Right. It's just a rulemaking. And, you know, I think that's one thing, too. This uh, this EPA has said they recognize that whiplash back and forth between administrations. So they recognize that they need to come up with something that maybe doesn't have that same thing. But like I said, what you say and what you do is not always lining up with what's coming out of the EPA. And unfortunately, I, I anticipate that also holding true with the WOTUS rule. Well, we're on the topic of the EPA. Jackie Dicamba back in the news again. Are you anticipating any major changes to the label or to usage of dicamba here ahead of planting season in 2022? So this summer, uh, EPA had had made some changes to just the distances that you could spray, the time time of day, weather. Uh, you know, everything had to be done by, I believe it was the end of June for certain crops in certain areas. Um, and I think everybody had hoped that that would kind of get us through a couple of years. Um, earlier this fall, Administrator Regan had indicated that he was not ready to say for sure that that would indeed be what is going to happen in 2022, meaning that they are likely going to be making some changes. And we've heard some more scuttle out of the uh, Beltway this week that maybe EPA could be close to coming out with what what new requirements they might have for dicamba, which I mean, at least if we do get this out here in December before the end of the year, it would allow farmers to be able to make decisions as they're buying a lot of their inputs right now, making decisions on what they're planning, they're you know, buying seeds. So whether you'd buy dicamba resistant seed or the chemicals to do that. Um, So maybe we will have something here in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, farmers can also make better informed decisions with that understanding right now as well. Well, if or when we get further insight from the EPA, Jackie, we'll be sure to have you back on. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Always great to talk with you, Mike. Thanks so much. When we return, what does protein demand look like in 2022? AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Get your tickets today at dtn.com backslash ag summit. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. U.S. ethanol production continues to be very profitable, keeping corn basis very strong and will likely cause the USDA to raise their ethanol forecast in next week's report. Global demand for high-protein wheat is very strong. Buyers have snapped up needs at lower prices this week. Another mostly clear day is in store for the U.S., aside from a chance of light precipitation in the northwest and around the Great Lakes. Saturday's forecast has mixed winter precipitation in the northwest 
west, moving into the northern plains. On the board of trade this morning, March corn trading five and three quarters of a cent higher at 582 and a half cent. The May contract up five and a half cent at 584 and three quarters. For soybeans, the March contract up 20 and three quarters at 1270 and three quarters. The November contract up 13 and three quarters at 1233. For wheat, Chicago wheat March up a penny at 816 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat March down two and three quarters at 839 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December down a penny and a half cent at 1059 and a half cent. The March contract down three and a half cent at 1038 and a half cent. Cattle traders seem to be in a wait-and-see mode until the anticipation of higher cash was realized, and that is what took place on Thursday. Packers paid upwards of $3 higher for both live and dressed cattle. Support also stemmed from higher box beef after a few days of lower prices. Choice cuts increased $1.80 with select up 28 cents. Weekly export sales were neutral Thursday at 21,600 metric tons. December live cattle trading 22 cents higher at 137.87. The February contract up 30 at 139.87. For feeder cattle, the March contract down 65 at 167.67. The April contract down 60 at 170.30. In lean hogs, the February contract down 2 at 82.02. The February contract down 10 at 86.22. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Next, we're going to take our focus from Washington, D.C., and instead look at the meat case. The cattle industry has been in turmoil since 2019. The two years of COVID certainly haven't helped at all. Don Close, the Senior Research Analyst for Animal Protein with Rabo Agri Finance, joins us this morning. Don, thanks for taking the time. Well, you're more than welcome. Good to talk with you. Looking at the beef market first, from the consumer's perspective, Don, it has been leading the charge in inflation. In a percentage basis, just how much more expensive is beef in 2021 than it was a year ago? They, uh, you know, they're they're up every, depending upon the item, uh, from 20 to 40 percent. Uh, we, we have seen a big run up in retail beef prices. Uh, the, the October prices, all beef was 740 and all and the choice beef was at 780 so we were at a new record high level for all beef prices can you put those numbers in context for us don 780 how does that compare to say the pre-covid era you know i don't have those numbers in front of me i'm gonna we had been for several years in the in the 550 to 650 price range so seven certainly seven dollars was the the upper cap and uh, everything above that $7 level, we're into new new strata. Don, as we head into 2022, is there enough domestic demand to support prices at these elevated levels? The, the first thing is, yeah, with all the work that, that we've done, we think the retail will have some correction. But, but we think the retail levels we're seeing, certainly for beef and even all species, we think we're at a new level. And we're, we're essentially going to hold. Uh, these higher prices. And so that's generating a lot of dollars 
that will will ultimately make it be making its way back to the cattle feeder and ultimately the cow calf producer. Now, I think when we have this conversation, we really, really need to look at what has been the 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 hindrance in the market, and what has really been the bottleneck has been our limited slaughter capacity, that just total available supply. And that has been exacerbated with the whole labor situation and, and with the packing, packing plants. Well, labor has been a struggle for everybody this year. Don, in your conversations with folks in the industry, do you feel like the meat packers are getting a handle on uh, keeping employees around, even if they have to spend a little more money? I think it's still a big challenge. But I, but I do have a sense that it is getting better. Uh, I'm hearing from, from different ones that you know we're seeing incremental improvement. But I do, I do think over time that that, that will, will gradually improve. Well, and if they've got to pay their employees more, you know, they've got the returns this year to do it. Don, that's my next question. Record returns. We should be seeing, I would think if the markets are working, record investment in cattle processing. Don, is the system working? It's working exactly as it's supposed to. You know, we know with... Uh, with the expansion of the JBS plant at Grand Island, you've got the two small plants under construction in Idaho. We've got the, uh, the, the process of to double shift the, the national beef plant and Tama. Uh, you've got the Missouri Prime plant there in southwest Missouri. So we already have in, in progress the addition of roughly 5,000 head of capacity a day. Now, if you, if you add to that all of the press releases that had been made over the last year, and, you know, that's the Sustainable Beef Project uh, in North Platte, Nebraska. We just recently had the announcement of uh, the American Foods Group plant uh, just outside the St. Louis area. So if you add all that additional, and I don't think it will all come to fruition. But if we did, we would be adding right at 10,000 head a day of, of additional capacity. So clearly, the, the economic windfall that Packers have had has stimulated tremendous interest in building new plants. So more slaughter capacity coming online over the next uh, 18 months, two years, Don. But I also know we are seeing a decrease in the herd size, the cattle cycle has turned is it still worthwhile to think of the cattle cycle as a concept in the beef industry you know it's it, it's one of those things that uh, historically it holds true and then we went through so many years of contracting supplies and and diminished demand we as economists were really questioning whether it was still in play but if you look at the the last expansionary phase we had the peak in, in total cattle numbers in 2019 and now three years of contraction, I think it's, I think it's absolutely in play. And, and you're hitting on a, a critically important component to this whole equation that, you know, we're looking for total cattle inventory as of Jan 1 to be down 2% uh, from, from Jan 1 of 2021. So we, we peaked numbers in 2019 we really that cow beef cow slaughter this year has consistently been running right at ten percent uh, above a year ago, week over week. So we're looking for a two percent decline in numbers here in the you know, as of the Gen One inventory report. So as we get through the year, that availability of cattle entering the feed yards is is absolutely expected to contract that will tighten up that supply that will last for the next couple of years easy and and then you're absolutely right that reduced available supply of cattle is going to be hitting the market right when a lot of this new uh, slaughter capacity will be coming online so what that does is this whole leverage or the live cattle price to cutout ratio uh, that leverage index is going to swing extremely hard back in favor of producers over the next couple of years. Can producers expect that leverage shift in 2022 or will it take more time? No, I, I think we will see it in 2022. Now, as, as you're well aware, 
month-over-month placements have continued to run right at 100% of a year ago. So we're still we're still seeing a lot of cleanup of, of cattle outside of feed yards. But if we look at that available supply and expect to see placements start to contract as we get into the first of the year, I think we will see the evidence of that tightening supply of cattle, uh, particularly through the second half of 2022. One of the other major changes of 2021 was the addition of China in a large way to our beef export program. Was that a flash in the pan, Don, or do you see them sticking around? We're most certainly expecting it it not only continue to 2022. uh, We think the changes in the consumption of protein in China, it's still being driven by improving uh, wage levels, improving quality of life. They want to incorporate more protein into their diets. But we've also got a really unique situation that the combined effects of African swine fever substantially reducing the availability of pork. And then they were hit with uh, COVID that forced the stay-at-home orders. And when the price spread between beef and pork in China narrowed, it clearly made beef a much more attractive purchase. So that attractive purchase of beef and the stay-at-home, we think it has accelerated the cooking skills and the and the awareness of quality beef with, with Chinese consumers. We think it's advanced at 10 years from where it was before this all started. Well, that's a big jump. But U.S. beef also benefits because right now, Australia and Brazil, neither of them are allowed to export their products to China. Do you see that changing in the near future? I, uh, With both of them, I, I only think it's a matter of time. Uh, but, and and their, their demand for product, certainly as our supplies start to show any contraction at all, I think that, that both of those uh, competitors will be back in that market. But, but keep in mind, when you're talking a market that is 1.4 billion people and they have what is categorized as extreme or ultra-wealthy, ultra that is a larger total number of people than population in the United States of 330 million. So <laughs> there's room for competition. That is a huge market. Well, let's bring it back to the U.S. Cattle feeders have just come through two really, really tough years. They're looking ahead to the future. Corn's high, fuel's high, all inputs are expensive. Is there still a reason to be optimistic when they're filling those pens this spring? You know, clearly, as I talk talk with producers and speak at different events, there's clearly a, a level of frustration with producers and I don't blame them. I think there's added frustration to that as, as ourselves and, and other, other analysts, you know, we, we have been promising these guys for a year now that prices would be getting better. And, and I think it got to a point where they lost, they've lost confidence in, in all of us that are supposed to know anything. So yes, I think they, I think, again, I think we'll be looking at, at measurably better prices for 2022 our our average, annual average price for fed cattle for the coming year is 140. Uh, now the thing, the hesitation that I have with all this, I I'm comfortable that prices will be better, but if you look at the price of replacement cattle right now, if you look at corn price, flat price on corn, and certainly the strength of, of a lot of these basis levels, I have concerns that higher costs are going to eat up a large share of the returns from the higher cattle prices. A good reminder to keep those pencils sharp. Don Close, the Senior Animal Protein Research Analyst with Robo AgriFinance. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And folks, when we return, more AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a four bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. AOA is brought to you by 
Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Thanks for tuning in today, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here sitting in for Mike Adams. You know, we just heard from Don Close about the amazing beef exports we saw last year, particularly headed to China. We saw strong pork numbers. We even saw decent poultry numbers. And every time we see an animal or beef tripe move off our shores, they're carrying with them a little bit of U.S. grain and U.S. soy. To talk about how those numbers add up, Carrie Sifferath, the global, excuse me, the senior director of global programs, the U.S. Grains Council, joins us this morning to talk about the results of the 2020-2021 marketing year from an export perspective. Carrie, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you and good morning. We've had huge numbers this last year on the export side. Let's talk about grain in all forms. Carrie, how do you guys define that category? Um, so, yeah, we, we look at, uh, obviously, corn, uh, barley, and sorghum, the three grains that the U.S. Grain Council um, promotes uh, and, and develops export markets for globally. And so we take the, you know, the, the actual bushels or metric tons of those exports. Um, then we also look at the uh, feed grain equivalent of ethanol exports, um, the feed grain equivalent of DDGS exports and other corn co-products. Um, and then we even calculate what is the uh, corn or feed grade equivalent of the pork and beef and poultry products that are exported. And we come up with that total uh, using official USDA numbers and come up with our grains in all forms export number. And so, yeah, the 2020-2021 uh, marketing year, we set an all-time record high of 187.383 million metric tons of grain in all forms exports out of the U.S., and a lot of that was based on the strength of meat because ethanol has slowed down over 20, uh, 2020 and 2021, didn't it, ethanol exports? Uh, yeah, they were down a bit. And, they, you know, just like, uh, you know, COVID, is, it, it put a, a damper a uh, bit on ethanol, uh, ethanol use in the U.S. Um, over the last year, year and a half, although that's now kicking back in. Uh, but that also uh, had effect on on. Uh, uh, driving in other major uh, countries that we do export ethanol to. Um, plus, there are some policy changes, and even how does ethanol compete price-wise into some of the other oxygenates on, on the global market. Um, but we did see, you know, uh, corn, we had a record corn export year, the highest corn export number we've ever seen. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> 2.748 billion bushels, uh, an all-time record high. So that was another big part along with the good uh, uh, meat exports uh, into that uh, uh, grains in all form number. Yeah, U.S. corn exports up by 55% this past marketing year. That is staggering. And of course, you know, we talked about China in the last segment. We're going to talk about China again because, Kerry, China was was really a major buyer this past year. Uh, yeah, they, you know, 21.47 million metric tons or 845.2 million bushels. Um, over 30% of all of our corn exports uh, at last marketing went to China. And that's an all-time record uh, for us, for a single destination for us to export corn to. I think it broke the record of the Soviet Union back in 1987, um, if I remember correctly. So yeah, not only do we have an all-time record export corn high, we, you know, the largest amount we've ever sent to any one destination that last marketing year. And, you know, we talk a lot about China when they're in the market, they are big buyers, but we also had a very successful year with some of our, our other export partners. I know South Korea was a big year and Mexico also had some, some big mm -hmm. numbers in 2020. Correct. Uh, you know, I think South Korea was number five on our list. Uh, um, and it's usually year in and year out a, a good customer of, of U.S. corn as, as is Japan, um, a regular customer of U.S. corn. Uh, yeah, but our, our big uh, had been our largest buyer until this past year when China came in. Our, our, our neighbors to the south, Mexico, um, continues to be a year in and year out a very large buyer of, of U.S. corn. Um, you know, last year they bought uh, almost 614 million bushels. Um, if I look at data uh, this year, this marketing year, you know, that we started on September 1st, and the data that we have through November 25th. 
um, exports, uh, both shipments and sales together, um, were up almost 19% of last year's pace. So as good of a year as Mexico had a year ago, we're even even above that pace now um, in the current marketing year. That is good news because, Carrie, do you anticipate China's purchases either of corn directly or of uh, grains in all forms to scale back here in 2022? Um, I mean, you know, when you set an all-time record, both of total corn exports and even corn exports to, to one destination, um, you know, the only way to for for to meet that is to set another record this year. Um, it, we most likely will not. I think we're we're seeing um, corn sales to China and, and corn sales and exports still at a very high pace. Um, you know, not as we're a bit behind last year, but again, it was an all-time record. Um, but I think we're going to continue to see some strong uh, exports of corn to China. Um, and we throw sorghum in there. You know, we had. 267 million bushel of, of sorghum that was sold to China a year ago. Um, and so both that corn and sorghum shipments to China are now picking up um, as the we're starting to get, uh, we're still seeing rapid large amounts of soybeans exported to China, but we're now tailing off and we're seeing uh, actual shipments of both corn and sorghum to China starting to pick up. Um, but China, you know, they have it's it's a it's always a complicated equation to try to figure out how much China is going to import and then how much they will import because uh, it's a whole it's a, looking at China it's a whole feed grain fit situation is you know what's their domestic uh, corn production doing um, what are domestic stocks are going to be released what are domestic old you know four or five year old wheat and rice stocks that are released for um, that are released for uh, feed use in China, and then what do they need to import feed grain-wise to uh, meet up with the rest of their uh, overall demand there. That's right. Lots to think about as this year comes to a close. Kerry Sifferath, Senior Director of Global Programs with U.S. Grains Council, thanks for joining us. And folks, tune in on Monday. Mike Adams will be back. He'll be in Chicago from the DTN Ag Summit. Tune in Monday. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online.